This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guests become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So, I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm excited today to have Jeff Gibbard on the on the podcast today. Uh, Jeff is a strategist, consultant, speaker, trainer, and he's the author of the book, The Lovable Leader, which I want to unpack uh, a little bit more. But he also founded something which is fascinating, the Superhero Institute, um, which we'll talk about. And it's really a training development company, uh, really trying to help all of us unlock, unlock our potential um, for leadership and strategy and growth. Um, and the thing where I really want to jump in uh, first is uh, the pivot that Jeff made uh, four years ago. He, he earned an MBA. He was in the corporate marketing world for a decade or more. And then in 2019, before that word pivot was fashionable, he created, he took what he called a, a hard pivot and left that um, for uh, to start his own business. Uh, so we're, I'm real excited to unpack that and, and then what led to that decision. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tim. Glad to be here. That's great. Well, so let's talk about that hard pivot. Like I said, that was a phrase that got overused during the pandemic, but you were pivoting before that even was something we knew about. In 2019, you left a, a very uh, successful corporate uh, uh, job uh, in marketing and uh, and you decided you wanted to pivot and, uh, and, and start your own business. So how did that uh, transpire and how did you overcome your fears and doubts and, and launch it? Yeah. So I've been working for myself for a, a very long time throughout my career, but the period of time that I pivoted from was one where I went from owning my own agency to being an owner in an agency. So my agency got yeah. acquired uh, by a larger agency and I was there for about a year and a half. Uh, wasn't real happy. Uh, wasn't a real good fit. Uh, it can often be really difficult from going from being like the person to being one of many people. And then just, you know, culture clashes and various different things. Uh, but it was more than just a fit. It was also, I had grown really tired of marketing. Um, I, And I mean, I still am involved in marketing. I market all the things I do. I advise companies on marketing and brand, but um, making it the source of my, you know, that was my bread and butter was doing marketing strategy. Um, I just was tired of helping people sell things that I didn't always care about what they were selling. And I didn't always think that helping them sell more of their stuff made the world a better place. So instead I, um, I decided to pivot out of a, more than a decade of experience of doing a particular thing and wanted to get into what my really, you know, what my passion was that was beneath all that in the first place. So when I came out of my MBA, uh, it was uh, uh, graduated in 2008, 2009, um, forgetting which year it was exactly, but um, <laughs> came out of my MBA and it was around the time that social media had just kind of hit its stride. And I got really excited about the prospect of a technology that connected people, a technology that was about people, presumably. And that's what I spent a lot of my time and energy on. And I spent more than a decade in that. And when I, when, you know, 12 years later, 13 years later, when I actually left the, uh, the field, I realized that what I was most interested in was, was the people side of it was how right. do we uh, connect people? How do we give people vehicles for expressing themselves? How do we cut across um, the things that make us different and instead find the things that make us the same or make us unite around common ideas and values. So that's why I got really into brand and I got really into um, 
you know, how do we achieve self-actualization? How do we find the thing that makes us excited to get up in the morning? So that's really where I, you know, I kind of broke off from the ability. I could have gone right back into marketing and had a, right. a you know, a line of clients waiting for me. Uh, but I didn't want to do that anymore. So it was really a hard pivot because I kind of made a very clean break from the world of marketing and uh, and decided in going back out on my own, I was going to go solo. Uh, I didn't want to have employees anymore. I wanted to just kind of be free and be able to be like kind of a lone wolf out there doing the thing that I want to do. I, and I I have a team now uh, for one of my businesses. Um, but for the most part, I'm I'm trying to stay true to the idea of going and doing that work that I'm really interested in. That's great. And I like how you've, you talked about uh, you want to help individuals uh, get up every day excited about what they're doing and what they're passionate about. It sounds like that the first step in doing that was you had to do it yourself. I mean, that you had to actually change, pivot in your own life uh, to something you were really passionate with. And you could say that before you could help others find their uh, pathway, right? A hundred percent. Um, I, you know, and at one point I was super passionate about social media. I was super excited to get up every day to do that. But I, um, the, the shine wore off of it. And after a while, I realized that it wasn't bringing us together. It wasn't making the world more democratic and, and, um, you know, egalitarian and, and all of the things that I would hope that it would, and instead just pushed us further apart. And I, I kind of felt like a Phillips Morris, a Phillips Morris executive. Like I had been pushing this thing that was really bad for people. And all along, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was really good for us. And it wasn't. So I, and I distinctly remember kind of one of the key moments where I realized I had to make a change. I was on a stage in Illinois. Uh, I was doing a keynote about social business and the impact that social business could have as an idea, like really implementing ways of being social across your organization. And I was on stage, big crowd, one of the bigger ones I'd ever done. And, uh, and I realized I hated everything I was talking about. Like I was not, I didn't uh. care. I didn't think that it was making the people in the audience better. I didn't. And, and like, it was still all the same content that a year and a half ago I, I thought was making the world better, but I just no longer cared. And I actually froze up on stage and got a little panicked because I felt like what I was doing didn't matter. And that had never been the case for me for the prior decade, really. I had gotten up every day yeah. feeling like the work I was doing mattered. So that kind of led to a, a, a series of kind of just things beginning to get dismantled in how I looked at the work I was doing. And really exploring some other interests and finding the things I wanted to do. I was at that time, I was really getting into leadership. That was when I started writing the book. I started looking a lot more into culture and into just how people relate. Um, and and just a lot of it coming down to communication and things like that. So when I made the clean break, you're right. I had to live it. I had to find a thing that I was super jazzed about. And I always credit my wife for this because in that period where I had left the, I had left the agency, I didn't know what I was going to do. I yeah. just knew that I wasn't going to do that. And I looked around, I talked to a lot of my friends that were speakers and authors. And my wife was like, you should do something with superheroes. And I was like, that's silly. Like, nobody's <laughs> going to take me seriously if I do something with superheroes. And um, she was like, okay. So then I talked to all these different people and it kept coming up time and time again, this thing about superpowers and helping people find their superpowers and being a real life superhero and using your powers for good, just like a superhero. And it was all this stuff that kept, I had to go back to her and I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Superheroes. That's actually going to be the thing. So that's why I, I kind of incorporated that into my brand. And when I discovered that that was the brand, everything fell into place. All of my various initiatives all level up and roll back up to this one idea of making a kinder, safer, more equitable world. 
That's amazing. That's great. And it's great. You're like all the pieces fit together and you could yep. uh, see that. So uh, I really like in the, in the book, The Lovable Leader, you talk about this idea of the broke work, the broken work culture. Um, and so I, I think what you were just talking about uh, has really been your passion in trying to fuel those of us uh, who are in leadership uh, and teams, uh, leading teams, how we can help fix that broke culture, broken culture. Um, so how have you seen that? Um, how have you now taken that passion, that interest, and help in, uh, infuse others to become superheroes and have that superpower to lead others um, to help fix that culture? Yeah. One of the big things is that I try to get people to shift their focus from what they do as a leader to how they do it as a leader. So instead of, because leaders, we all do the same stuff. We all do the same stuff. Every leader has to do the same stuff. We have set goals. We have to make plans. We have to manage our teams. We have to make decisions. We have to communicate. We have to inspire. We have to course correct and uh, manage conflict. Like we all do the same stuff, but how we do it is kind of what shifts things. And what really brought about the book is when I started looking at it, I started looking at all of it. The whole book began by looking at all of the bad bosses I ever had. And I was like, hmm. what? What is it about them? What do they do that just rubs me the wrong way? Start breaking it down. And I saw that, you know, they leaned on their title and their authority. They expected to be able to uh, control you and, and you were expected to be compliant. You were expected to assimilate and really just be removal of autonomy in general. And that there was this, this fragile ego where it just was looking to blame anytime some, something went wrong rather than stepping up and taking ownership. So I started cataloging out all of these things that one made me feel awful being under that, the care of that type of a leader. Um, but also what would I want if I was going to be in that, what would I do differently in that role? And what I saw was basically it was all, it was just an inverse. And when you track back why people behave that way, why do, why do bosses behave that way? It's because they're scared. Right. They're scared that they're going to get in trouble. They're going to lose their job, that there's not enough to mm. go around, that someone will replace them. They grew up in an environment where they mimic the behavior that that they exhibit, right? That they are scared. So they make everyone else around them scared. And I said, well, what, what is the opposite of that? What's the opposite of, of managing and leading through fear? It's managing through love. It's saying, I actually care about you. I want you to trust me and I want to trust you. And I want to make sure that you feel safe not just to succeed, but also to fail, to be able to make mistakes and to get back up from it. Because as a team, that's how we're going to actually move forward together. And so much of that inspiration was I looked to what were the leaders in my life that I had that made me feel like I could do things. I looked at my dad okay. and how much I learned from from him and his parenting style. Um, I looked at you know other like teachers I had and you know the few bosses that I actually resonated with, and all of them created an environment in which I felt like they genuinely cared about my success and well-being. They were invested in what it was that I was interested in and how I wanted to grow. I trusted them. I trusted that they had my best interest in mind and that I could share with them when I was on or when I was off and that they made it safe for me to go and pursue the goals that I told them that I had. So I said, okay, well, let's start to make this into a framework. What does this look like? So that's how I started to kind of uh, tiptoe into building out a, uh, an entire you know, leadership methodology was based on right. the idea that we can show up in a completely different way and it can fundamentally change the way we show up and, and spend time at work. Yeah, that, I think you're spot on, Jeff. And those two, those, I think I, I, I think those two competing, not competing, those two um, principles of caring for an individual that you're leading and uh, building that trust relationship, I think that is the key. I totally agree with your premise. That's the key to everything. And not just even in, within your own company, right? Because I think that then translates as you're, acting and leading like that within your company, 
that's the same way to treat your customers, right? Your clients. Um, and they and now you're now employees. So you model that. They can model that to their their clients. Um, uh, so talk about that a little bit uh, about how that um, that you've seen that translate, that, that you you take those principles and that you're able to build a corporate culture. But now you're also able to reach out into the into the business community, too. Yeah. And I'll actually go. I'm going to take it a little a step further in the more extreme, yeah. which is what are the best relationships you have in your life? They're your yeah. family and your friends, right? Like in right. an ideal situation, I understand that everybody has a great family situation uh, or great friends, but in ideal situations, your best relationships are with your family and with your friends. And a lot of bosses do that nonsense where they say, oh, we're all family around here, but it's nonsense and they don't believe it and it's BS. But the principle behind that, the idea is having familial relationships. That is ones in which people are free to be who they are and there's still going to be love and care and trust that still remains there. In, and again, in ideal situations. Right, and same right. thing in your friendships, that your best friends are the ones that you can share things with and they can share things with you and you can be there when you're not at your best and you're still going to be friends. So I think I worked at it from like sort of the opposite way around, which is like, okay, you could start it like, how are we at work? And then how does that apply down to your life? Or you could say, how are we mm. best in our lives and how can we then bring that into work? So I kind of look at it and I say this at the end of the book, which is that the dirty secret of the book is that the same principles you apply in this book to be better at work as a manager, the same things you can apply to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better friend, to be a better daughter-in-law, to be a better you know, son-in-law, to be, all of those sorts of things are based in these same principles of love, care, trust, respect, kindness. All of these things are still there. So when you extend it out to your clients or your customers, I think the same thing is true. Your best relationships are always going to be built on care, on trust, on safety, because those are ones in where you can be honest with one another. You give each other more grace when you mess up and you're willing right. to work harder for one another because you're working towards aligned and common goals. Yeah, that's great. Well, so getting real practical on building that environment, um, uh, and maybe it's the same thing as you're building that environment with your family or even as you're dating <laughs> your future spouse, but in, in the workplace, what are some practical ways you have uh, seen people do that really well to infuse that care and that trust and that um, uh, those, uh, uh, you know, building that, um, helping individuals to want to thrive and succeed. What are some practical ways you've seen that play yeah. out with some good bosses? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a couple. Um, I talk a lot about, you know, what respect looks like in healthy relationships, right? In, in unhealthy relationships, respect is uh, an expected sort of deference and compliance to another based on authority or title. And I think in healthy relationships, respect is reciprocal. And it's uh, people who respect our needs, they respect our boundaries, they respect our hopes, our dreams, our wishes, our, our strengths, our weaknesses, et cetera. And I think in healthy relationships at work, what we see is that um, care and trust and safety, those are things that thrive when we share what our boundaries are and others respect mm. those boundaries. When we share what our needs are and others respect those, when we share what our weaknesses are and people are understanding of those things. Um, I'm, you know, one of the reasons why I think I'm so sensitive to this is that I have ADHD and I'm on the autism spectrum and I spent a lifetime, you know, feeling out of place and feeling unsafe to just truly be who I was. Like I felt like I always had to mask up and be someone else in these environments. And it was, it was this really uh, unsettling feeling. And it, I just thought it would be so nice if I didn't have to do that. And now what I do, and, and I'm so thankful to have the partners I have and the clients I have, but I show up and I say, hey, here's what I'm really good at. Here's what I'm terrible at. Here's what you can expect right. me to always show up and thrive and, and crush it. 
Here's where you can always expect me to fail. But here's the ways I've mitigated that, right? And no one says, Jeff, you have to change to fit <laughs> my ideals of what I need. I don't need, they don't need me to assimilate. They take me for what I am. Uh, my, my business partner and I have this saying that we say sometimes is, uh, if, if you, uh, if you can't take me at my executive dysfunction, you don't deserve me at my hyper-focus. And <laughs> I think that when you look at what the best work environments do is that they actually treat each individual as an individual. They make accommodations for each individual based upon those needs. And there's no sense of like tit for tat. Well, this person got an apple, so I should get an apple. It's everybody kind of gets what they need according to what they need to thrive in their best way. So it's a lot of open communications, asking questions. What do you need to be at your best? What are your goals? How can I help you get to where you want to go? And that's something I think a lot of leaders don't do enough of. If you can find out what somebody else wants to accomplish, and then you can find a way where that overlaps with something that you need to accomplish. Now you've got someone working for themselves rather than working for you. And in the same way, you get to help coach them and guide them and help them thrive into growing into what they want to do. And side benefit, it helps with the thing that you needed to get done. So if you always put that emphasis on the other person, to understand them, to try and push them in the direction that they want to go rather than the one you want them to go, you're going to have a lot more success as a leader. That's really brilliant. Um, that's great. That's really great practical advice. So in the book, you also talk about how to lead up. And so let's say you are currently, I know we might have some listeners uh, who are in a bad boss situation, although they don't have to admit that out loud, but how can they start leading up with some of those principles you just talked about? Yeah, I think in all cases that you are in a leadership mindset where you see yourself as a leader simply because you choose to, um, the first thing is to always lead by example, right? So set an example for your manager, even if they're a bad boss, of what proper behavior is. Ask them their boundaries and respect those boundaries. Um, You know, set your own boundaries and be kind in the way that you enforce those boundaries, you know, things like that. But in terms of practical, very, very practical advice for leading upwards, I would say, One thing is to trade inquiry for solutions. So a lot of people, as they move up the org chart, tend to have more stuff on their plate. They may not work as hard in terms of actual labor as those beneath them, but they have more things that they're accountable for overseeing and more decisions to make and things like that. So because of that, bringing them one more decision to make is often not always welcomed, right? Like they don't want you to come and say, help me solve this other problem. Now, like we all love to coach if we're in a leadership role, right? Like we love that. We love to help people grow. But adding another thing for me to decide can be really, really challenging. But if instead you bring me something to maybe edit, so to speak, by bringing me a solution and asking me to reflect on that solution, that makes my life a lot easier. So if you're leading upward, I would say instead of going to your boss and asking them what to do, even if you have to ask, even if you don't know what to do, bring a solution with you first. Say, hey, you know, I was thinking I'm I'm running into this problem over and over again. Here was my thought about how to solve it. What do you think about that? Do you have any other suggestions of where I might look for solutions? That is going to be so much more well-received by someone who's running in a million different directions, accountable for so many things, than coming and saying, hey, what do I do about this? Because they're going right. to say, go go do some work. Go figure it out. Go try and bring us bring an idea to me and we'll go from there. But if you just come with, an, with a question rather than a solution, you're, you're going to run into... Uh, Sometimes somebody who's not going to take that well, depending on the day they're having. Yeah, that I, I think that's a really excellent advice. I was on a call earlier today where there were 10 people, all brilliant minds, but they were at an impasse of just questions and problems about how to get something finished with not really any solutions. Um, and I was like, and, and I was, so you're right. I kind of sent him back to the drawing board and said, well, 
I really want to do this. So let's figure out the creative ways and the plan to do it. Um, and I could see how that, if they'd come with, here's the challenges, here's the plan, that would be so much more refreshing. <laughs> yeah. And then you can just um, say, do- Hey, I love it. And this is the one part I would change, but go forth with it. Yeah. And it, it brings up another thing I was thinking, which is that, um, you know, let's say somebody did bring you, um, just a question right now you're like, right. I don't know. Um, there's a concept in the book I, I talk about called productive conflict, which a whole great book was written about by Leanne Davy called the good fight. But the idea huh. is that by introducing uh, a conflict, uh, and forcing a resolution, you move things forward one way or another, right? Rather than right, just right. kind of like, oh, well, we'll set a follow-up meeting instead of that, right? You try to force something to happen. Uh, so let's say you go to yeah. your boss and you say, hey, I have these two different paths I want to go. What do you think? And then they say, I don't know. Then you can <laughs> say to them, listen, I think we should go with option B. I'm going to run with that. And if I run into any problems, I'm going to come back and let you know. And if at any point you think you'd like me to, you know, change pads and go with option A, you let me know, but I want to make sure we keep moving things forward. Is that all right with you? And I I think that's the sort of thing that like, again, a lot of managers, if they're pushed to that point, they might say, you know what, no, actually option A, right? Or no, no, great. I appreciate you took the initiative. It's like that whole um, better to ask for uh, forgiveness than permission. It's that same thing. But especially if you go and you ask, choose between two options, they don't give you an answer move things forward. Um, yeah. don't just, don't just let things, uh, or, or run out the clock and look for a new job, your choice. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, that's great. Uh, so one other thing I like about the book, um, and, and I really think it's encouraging to all of us as we're trying to get better every day at leading and, and even leading upward is this idea that it is a journey. And you talk about, you have detours and you, you know, maybe you don't get exactly to the destination initially, but then you stay focused on the ultimate destination. Um, I think that's just encouraging for folks in the workplace to know that this is a journey. So talk a little bit about how you develop that framework and, um, and, and how you've implemented that yourself. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things that's happened for me recently is that I just got done reading, um, all of the chapters for the audiobook version of the lovable leader. And uh. After reading the whole thing, which mind you, it took me five years to write the book. It actually only took 28 days over those five years. But I, as I was reading through it, I got, I was reading a whole bunch of parts and I was like, I don't necessarily know if I believe exactly that anymore, or I probably would phrase it differently today than I would have then. So what's interesting is that leadership is going to constantly change in the face of new information, how you relate to other, because what's leadership? It's all just people doing things with people. And as you get better at it, as you develop your cultural competency and work with people that have different backgrounds from you, you're going to learn all sorts of ways in which several years ago, you might have been super cringe about the way that you interacted with people. But nowadays, you have a a greater understanding of how to come across so that you're not, you know, necessarily like reeking of privilege or saying something in a way that's culturally insensitive or that uh, isn't being sensitive to a person's actual needs or empathetic, that maybe several years ago, you would have done it differently and it would have come off really badly. So I think leadership is a journey because you're going to consistently be learning ways in which you were not the leader then that you are now, especially if you keep pushing yourself to get better. Um, But the truth is that there's going to come parts of your leadership journey where leadership is super easy. Like there's going to be periods of time where you're like, I'm crushing this. I'm so good at this. And then like not two months later, not two days later, you might smash into a wall of a challenge. And you're like, wow, leadership is legit the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And why is this so hard? And why don't people just listen? And I feel like I've coached this person so many times or, you know, why is this not coming through? I've worked so hard on this. I've worked so hard on this conversation. 
and you're like, this is a burden. Why do I even do this to myself? So right. you're going to go through these phases. I say the three lenses of leadership are that it's a burden, it's a privilege, and it's um, a responsibility. All mm. of those at once is what leadership is going to be as a journey. So as you go through that journey, there's going to be times where you're doing well, where it's going to be tough. There's going to be times where you've learned things and you go, oh, my previous way of doing that really was terrible and I'm so much better now. And I think when you go through that once or twice, you're then going to look into the future and go, oh, wow, I'm probably going to be so much better in three years than I am now. So you you develop this sense of being always incomplete, always mm -hmm. getting better, always missing something, always being able to get better and learn. And because of that, leadership is a journey. It's not a destination. It's something that you will start and hopefully continually get better over time. Yeah, that's so good. That's so helpful. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned the so is audiobook uh, available now or it's is not it available process? yet. Uh we're still in the process. I'm actually adding a bunch of bonuses to the audiobook because it's All coming right. out more than a year after the um the uh the actual book was the paperback and the the ebook. Um so I'm actually adding like a workbook. I'm adding um uh, the B-sides, I have a whole B-sides uh, download that I offer that I'm going to incorporate into the audiobook. Um, so there's all of these different things that I'm actually uh, going to be adding in with the audiobook um, because I think in my head, I always anticipated it would be an audiobook. Um, ah. So I really want to make that amazing. That's great. Well, definitely let us all know when that's available. Absolutely. Jump on and get that. So I think you mentioned, I've heard you mention that you maybe even be working on like the next book. So uh, what, what's uh, what's uh, in your mind? What are you excited about that? Uh, I've got like five or six books like in, in my head. Um, one of the books that I've thought about doing as a follow-up is um, a book called Rise of the Rebels or something, something with rebels, yeah. which would be RBL role-based leaders, which is the idea that yeah. everybody can exhibit leadership in uh, in a particular role based upon their unique skills or it's context dependent basically that in different scenarios, different people can show leadership um, based upon just how they respond in those circumstances. So that's that's a follow-up. I thought about writing a book called Becoming Superhuman, which uh, maps on to, you know, that's the name of my blog. Uh, it mirrors the uh, the course curriculum that is being developed for the superhuman, uh, Superhero Institute, but it's all about how do you unleash your superpowers? How do you um, continually add new skills and abilities. Um, so it's all about that. That's another one, but I got like, I got five or six more in the can too. That I'm thinking <laughs> about. But that's, that's just great. standard for uh, some of the ADHD. Do you have um, hundreds of ideas. Oh, that's, that's excellent. So do you have certain uh, disciplines in writing that you're trying to write a little bit every day or how do you kind of approach all that? I'm, I'm a binger. So the way that I uh, do all projects is um, basically hyper-focused binges. So um, I've told this story before, but the, um, the lovable leader I mentioned, it took 28 days over uh, five years, right. but the first weekend that I wrote in the lovable leader, I wrote like 18,000 words in a weekend. Uh -huh. uh, and if you talk to writers, mostly what they're like, I need a 500 or a thousand words a day. Like that right. is not how the ADHD brain works. Like I'm not built for small consistency. I am built yeah. for massive, enormous lifts over the course of a day or two, and then complete radio silence for another three months. So that's really how the book came about. It's how my, probably my next book will come about is um, I will probably, the next one will take less time because I think this one, my original draft was 65,000 words and the the final book is 44. Um, uh, and I think I actually want to take the lovable leader and cut it down to about 35, maybe, maybe 30. So I want to, I want to actually cut it down even more. Um, but I think my next book will probably be like, nice and thin, like easy, real easy to get to real fast. So I'll probably just hyper-focus uh, and blitz it over the course of like maybe two weeks. I'll just sit down and write the entire book in two weeks and then go from there. That's that's my yeah. plan. 
I would not advise it for anybody else unless that's how you work. <laughs> but you you got to do you and that works. That's how so I that's, work. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Well, one topic and then uh, they'll wrap up and I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. But I really um, something um, that I found very um, uh, informative and helpful and it's just something we all need to remind you about is this idea of self-care. You talk about that in Lovable Leader. And I see I mean, I can tell from your life. You really focus on that, looking in the mirror um, and putting that on yourself. So what are some ways that you help focus on mental health, wellness, make sure that you stay grounded um, and stay lovable? <laughs> as yeah, you it's uh, what's that uh, expression? Hurt people, hurt people. And uh, uh, you can't love someone and control them at the same time. And you can't love anybody else unless you love yourself, all those sorts of things. But um, I think in order to be the type of leader that cares about others, you have to obviously care about yourself. And if you're not in a good headspace, you're not going to be in a good headspace to take care of anybody else. And I think as a leader, your job is to help protect and care for and show compassion and empathy to others. So I think you got to start with yourself. So there's a whole chapter in the book dedicated to self-care. And it's the idea of there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, I talk about mindfulness in there and meditation. I'm not an active uh, uh, practicer of meditation, but the times that I do, I find it very useful. But I think the bigger things are, you know, for me, I would say for myself, the number one thing is having a therapist. I think having a mm -hmm. therapist for me has been just one of the most important things I've ever done for myself in my life, um, to be able to have a safe space to go and talk through things and work through things. I just think that that is invaluable and I can't stress enough how important that is because I think what a lot of leaders do that maybe were brought up in an environment where there's a stigma in their mind about having a therapist. Like, what am I crazy? Yeah. Instead, you know what they do? They turn their employees into their, th into their therapy sessions and they bitch and moan mm -hmm. to the people that they're supposed to be caring for. And that's not appropriate. It's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be there for them. And, you know, if you have a relationship where you can be vulnerable enough, hopefully you have the opportunity to, to share from a place of vulnerability and honesty with each other, but they're not your dumping ground for your mental problems. Go deal with your stuff and work it out because that is going to help you stay clear and ready to to show up and be your best at at work or at home. So I would say that's number one. Number two, uh, and and I think a lot of people um, this is different for everybody, and it also changes with age. But for me, I know sleep is just epically important, and especially if you're an ambitious workaholic type person, it's very. And if you have ADHD like me, and you're delayed sleep <laughs> onset, where you could. My normal sleep time is like between 12 and 2 a.m. Like that's where I want to go to sleep, but I have to force myself in bed before that. Uh -huh. If I don't get enough sleep, I don't have the resilience to bounce back. I don't have the emotional uh, reserves to deal right. with other people's stuff. And you need that as a leader. You need to be able to have a little bit extra in your tank for other people. So I'd say getting enough sleep is another. And then all the, you know, just the, the standard run of things, you know. Yeah work out a little bit, eat right, do all the things you got to do. But like, if you're not mentally, physically, emotionally in the right place, there's absolutely no way you're going to be able to show up day in and day out and be there to lead people. You're, you're going to be a liability and yeah. it's very easy for you to lose trust with people by snapping on somebody once all of a sudden that creates a narrative. So you got to be really on top of taking care of yourself so that you can keep showing up to be your best. Yeah, those are those are excellent ideas. I totally agree. The sleep thing is something I need as well. And and it's all about making the hard choices, right? Because there's a lot of other things I would like to do except going to bed at like nine o'clock. Yep. But I just know I need to do that because I'm going to be going early in the morning. So I think that's something. And then totally agree. It, it revolutionized my life as well as a leader to have a therapist and have that safe space. And then I think and I appreciate your being open about that because I think others 
then like you said, I think a lot of leaders, a lot of employees think there's a stigma, but when they hear that their leader is talking about the value, then that opens up the dialogue. And, and so I really appreciate that you do that, Jeff. And I think that's helpful. Yeah. Let me give you one more just because you made me think of it. But um, I think we, you know, I talked a little bit about um, earlier to ask me a question. I mentioned talking to your people and asking them questions, learning about them. Right. So one of the things that I encourage all teams to do is have user guides for oh. yourselves. So uh, I have a, a hmm. page on my website about it and there's a, a thing you can do to build your own. But the more you're able to know yourself, the more you're able to share with others your tendencies, your rocket fuel, your triggers, your communication styles, all those things. I think that is actually a form of self-care is to know yourself mm. and to share that with others so that they're not um, inadvertently triggering you based upon what your things are, right? So I know I have certain things that just set me off in a bad way. I know that there's certain things that like, you just you just give me the, the whiff of a problem and I'm like, yeah, give it to me. Let's solve yeah. that problem. So understanding what your your rocket fuel and what your triggers are and sharing that with your team and encouraging them to do the same, just as you mentioned, creating a space for that sharing, it allows everybody to kind of take some accountability for each other's uh, mental, emotional, and physical health by not setting other people off inadvertently. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea. I'm going to go to your website um, and uh, get that. Yeah, user I'll send you a like link that. directly. I'll, I'll put it, yeah. uh, I'll send you to put it in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, perfect. Well, so a couple of real quick questions. I guess it's rapid fire, but uh, so um, uh, uh, just first thing that comes to mind. I mean, this one, I know, I'm sure you know this one. You've got it pegged out, but what's your, who's your favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. Um, why? What about super, uh, what about Spider-Man attracts you? Um, I think it's the relatableness of the character uh, for me that, you know, I, I grew up being a big Superman fan um, and, mm. and I went through a period where I, just thought Superman was the dumbest thing ever. Uh, and now I've come back to actually really appreciating Superman in my later years. But the thing about Spider-Man that I found always really um, relatable was that he had to make tough choices. Um, he always had real relatable problems, girl problems, family problems, right. problems at school, right. problems at work. And all of those things, it was like balancing the responsibility to do the right thing in the face of all of these other pressures that would make it so easy to do the wrong thing. I think what I'm always inspired by that character is just his constant push and responsibility to try and do the right thing in the face of everything, even though it consistently comes back to harm him. I, I just think that's so cool. And then just from a, just a pure like power fantasy, like thinking through being the character swinging around on those webs just yeah. seems so freaking <laughs> cool. Uh, it does. And, yeah. It does. Especially as I get That's older awesome. and I sit in this living room and I kind of got a back <laughs> issue now, I think that kind of agility would be amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. All right. So you've shared a lot of big ideas, things you're thinking about, but I had a question about like, what's the one big new idea that you're most excited about that kind of wakes you up in the morning saying, I got to know more about that. Oh God, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Cause I have so many different projects that I'd be that like, if I had the time I'd be working on them. I mean, if I had all the time in the world, all I would do is make content. Like all I would do is like yeah. create resources that people could download, create blogs, make videos, make podcasts. I love podcasting. I love talking yeah. with people. So um, it's tough to say, but I, I guess if I had to pick just one thing, I have this product that I released the version one of, uh, and I'm I'm currently working on the version two of it, but it's called HyperFocus. And it's a complete productivity system for people with ADHD. And yeah. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just so excited about it because that's one of the it's one of the hardest things for people, um, you know, on the neurodiversity spectrum, 
Um, some people really struggle with getting things done because our brains just work differently. And a lot of the products and systems that are built are not built for us. You know, if I hear another, you know, quote unquote, neurotypical person tell me to like keep a journal or like just make a task list, yeah. I like, dude, like you have no idea how much time right. and energy I've already dedicated to this. So I put together a full productivity system that encompasses email, calendar, task list, notes, et cetera. Uh, and, and it has included in it like one of the most comprehensive note-taking knowledge management systems I think ever created, but it's specifically for people with ADHD. Oh, that's, a, that's amazing. I think we've mentioned, talked before about uh, my family. We've worked with special needs, uh, children, teens, young adults, and, and several of them are on the spectrum. And I could see how that would be invaluable. Um, and even for parents, Yep. too. I mean, of the young adults. And yeah, so thank you for doing that. That's amazing. I got to check that out too. So what about what's a big challenge that's keeping you up at night struggling, thinking through uh, how to solve, how to move forward? Time, time, time. Um, I've, uh, so I'm, I'm in the midst of planning out my first uh, tattoo uh, or several tattoos uh, that I'm going to have all work together. I'm, I've taken a lot of time on it because I need it to be thematically consistent and all integrated. But um, the, uh, the, the, Big idea. I realized if I had a nemesis in a comic book universe, it would be time. Um, uh, I never have enough time to do all of the things I want to do, whether it's fitting in enough sleep, fitting in enough work, enough time with my kids, enough time with my wife. There's just not enough time in a week, in a day for me to do all the things that I have the ambition to do. So the number one challenge I keep running into is how to keep reorganizing these blocks so that with the time I have left on this earth, which who knows how much that is, that I get done the things that are most important. And that's not just the the legacy I leave behind professionally, but also am I spending enough time with my wife and kids? Am I spending enough time mm. with those that are important to me? Am I getting enough sleep? Um, those, and am I spending time just wasting away doing nothing? Because that there's a value in that, right? So time is my nemesis and I'm constantly battling it. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 amen to that. I mean, I think a lot of uh, high performing leaders or even not, I mean, yeah, time is really challenging. So yeah, that's good. So anyway, the point right. about bringing up the yeah. tattoo is I'm, I'm incorporating that oh. somewhere in my tattoo. Oh, okay. Like the, 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 like a clock. Uh, what's the artist, the clock that's yeah, yeah, Salvador down. Dali. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, the of Dali memory. Clock. yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Last one of these questions. Uh, what is someone or who is someone or what is something that has really inspired you lately? Um, something that's inspired me lately. Um, I'll give you kind of two quick ones. Uh, there's a guy I follow on LinkedIn, uh, his name's Farzin Farzad. And he talks a lot about, um, uh, he does conscious equity work. Um, so, um, I think that's, mm. like, that might be the name of his company, but he does a lot in the world of like DEI. Uh, and his perspective just happens to be one of the more grounded and revolutionary practical and real ones. Like he talks about climate change. He talks about, you know, um, just so many different um, theories and how they intersect and whether or not they're realistic and how grounded they are and practical. And um, and I'm just always inspired by one, the volume of things that he posts. It's just remarkable. The clarity with which he writes really complex ideas. Um, and then just the importance of the subject matter he's covering. Uh, I'm just very inspired by that. So that would be one. Um, Actually, you know what? I'll just leave it at that. I want to give him just yeah. the, the sole place on that list right now. I'm, I'm very inspired by the work he does. And I, I, I wish that I could, uh, I wish that I could, could produce at that volume and at that depth. Yeah, that's great. Well, everyone will have to check him out. So uh, you mentioned your website. What are some ways that people can get, uh, contact you, Jeff? Where can they yeah. find you and your content? 
easiest way to find me is just jgibbard.com. Um, I'll give it to you to put in the show notes, but it's just a single link that um, it's sort of like a link tree, except it's not built on link tree, but it, it's a menu that basically brings you to all of my stuff. So you want to look at my content projects, boom, there's a link there, it brings you to all my content projects. If you want to look at how to work with me, it's got all the links there. So I make it really easy for people to find anything that they want to know about me, how to connect on social, everything, side projects even. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've got so many notes that I've taken that are things that I'm going to be able to put into practice today. So I hope everyone find one or two things that you can implement in your own journey and uh, make sure to let everyone else know because everything we heard today is definitely shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.